So as many of you guys saw, Jake Lozano was supposed to give the update. He's our youth pastor. He's going to give the update on the Costa Rica trip uh, this morning. But he was in a, uh, he broke his leg. He was in a motorcycle accident. Um, he's, he's okay, except for the broken leg. He was wearing his helmet, and it was, it was just unfortunate. He wasn't, you know, doing anything crazy. It was just a, an accident. But Pam and Jake send their love. They were really excited about being here. But if, you know, I thought we could, we could take a second and just pray for them. Um, Lord, we just pray for the Lozano family. We pray for quick healing. We pray for the surgery that they're having today on his leg, that it goes smoothly. Just, just be with them right now. In your name, amen. So because Jake is gone, we have an opportunity for one of our very young pastors to come up and share with us. I'm told he has a very handsome son, um, but he's our senior pastor, Danny Meyer. Give it up for him. Oh, fancy meeting you here. <laughs> we do want to continue to pray for Jake and Pam, the family. It, it could have been a whole lot worse, of course, but uh, fortunately there's just a as JT said, just broken leg, and they think that he may have tore his ACL. That's in your knee, right? Yes. So he has, a, he has a few things, but everything's repairable, but let's keep them in prayer. So, so here, here I have opportunity, and, and in some ways I think it's, it's uh, providential, not providential that Jake broke his leg and can't speak, but providential that, that I have an opportunity, because last week, uh, really, the, the main topic I spoke on last week was really discipleship. What does it look like to be a disciple? You know, we, we talked about a disciple as someone who doesn't pick and choose what, what parts of the Bible we like, what parts of the Bible we don't like, but a disciple is someone who's just given themselves to surrender their life to God. We talked about discipleship as, as something where we, we take ourselves in hand. And we look at our hearts, we look at our attitudes, we make sure that our, our outer life, our public life, is consistent with our inner life. That's, that's what it looks like to be a disciple. And really, in, in some respects, and I, I talked about this quite uh, a bit last week, the, the, the core of discipleship truly is being able to, to not just allow your, your flesh to go with the flow, to follow comfort, but to say, Jesus, my life is not my own, it's yours, and I offer myself to you. But there's a topic or there's an aspect of discipleship that I would have loved to have gotten into last week that I think is, is central to what a disciple looks like, but we just didn't have time. But unfortunately for Jake, but fortunately for me, I have time this week to, to, uh, to go into some, uh, another aspect of, of what a disciple looks like. And it has to do with relationships. Not just our relationship with God. Not just how we, we have a, that uh, connection and understanding of who we are. But how we relate, how we relate to others. So uh, let's go ahead and pray. Ask the Lord to be here with me and, and you. And that we could hear what God has to to offer us today. So Father, I, I just thank you for uh, an opportunity to address this topic, Lord. We, we, want to, uh, we want to continually be more and more conformed into your image. So I ask that you give me clarity and allow me to speak those things that, that you've been putting on my heart. Give me energy and give me uh, clarity of thought and speech. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me begin by, by sharing a story that will sort of set the scene for where we're headed today. Back in, in 1915, there was a, a major convention of pediatricians. And the pediatricians here in the United States gathered together, and one of the topics that they were discussing at that convention was the fact that at that time in, in the United States, few, if any, infants... In, who were placed in orphanages survived the first year of life. The mortality rate, I mean, the, the survival rate of, in that first year was almost nil. And it was a concern, obviously. Uh, children, older children who were placed in orphanages here in the United States seemed to do uh, fairly well, 
but infants almost never survived. And the, the pediatricians got together to discuss that and to, to, to try to form a strategy to change that, that uh, reality. And they had heard about a, an orphanage in Germany, in Dusseldorf, Germany, that had a, a survival rate within their orphanages, uh, or within that particular or orphanage, that was closer to the survival rate of infants in, raised in, in families. So they, the, the convention of pediatricians sent one of their doctors, a, a doctor named Fritz Talbert, to, to Dusseldorf to examine and inspect and find out what was it about that orphanage that allowed the infants to survive and, and sometimes to thrive uh, into, into their, and through their childhood. So Talbert went over there and he examined the, you know, ratio of nurses and doctors to the children. He examined sanitation and food and what kind of beds. He tried to look through every aspect to try to determine what is it that they're doing differently that brings about such a, a high success and survival rate. And at the end of the four or five days he was there, he, he was at a loss. He didn't see anything substantial, anything significant that allowed for that that difference in uh, the, the survival of the infants. And on the last day, he was walking through the halls with his guide, his, his interpreter, and he is walking down the hall, and he sees this, this old, frumpy, German, grandmotherly-type woman walking down the hall, had a baby on her shoulder, and he turns to his, his, his guide, and he said, now, who is she? I haven't met her before. And the, uh, the guide said, oh, oh, that's, that's old Anna. And he said, who's old Anna? And, and they said, well, you know, when we have a, a baby, an infant that's just, you know, there's a failure to thrive, the baby is just doing so poorly, and we realize that, that it, it, uh, it, it just need, it, it needs help, uh, but we don't want to... We don't want to take up the time of the doctors and the nurses. We, we sort of give the baby to old Anna. And, and the person said, you know, and it's amazing because m most frequently, more often than not, after a week or two, the baby's doing so much better and, and is able to, to move on and, and continue to go back into the, the normal uh, rooms where all the other infants are. And as Talbert began to look into the situation, what he came to realize is the difference between life and death for those infants in Dusseldorf, Germany's orphanage was exclusively old Anna. And what she was able to do was simply build connection, build relationship, touch the infants, hold the infants, sing to the infants, walk around with the infants, and that connection, that touch, that interaction was what allowed those infants to survive. The only difference. And what that shows us, and what we need to understand for purposes of our conversation today, is to recognize that God created us, every single one of us, like it or not, he created us for relationship. He created us so, in such a fashion that we can only thrive, find life, when connected with others. When we're in relationship with others, when there's interface between ourselves and others, and the more isolated we become, the more isolated we find ourselves, the more difficult it is to grow health in a healthy way, and the more difficult it is to spiritually grow in a healthy way. So we, we need to understand, first of all, that we are created by God for relationship. We see this reflected in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God in his essence is, a, is 
a relational God, that God has chosen to draw near to us. He's relational with us, that God sent his son from heaven to earth in order to interact and to interface and to connect with his children, with his people, that God is a relational God. He's formed and created us to be relational beings. Through those relationships, we grow. Through those relationships, we can thrive. Through those relationships, we can find out who we are. But there's an issue here. There's a problem. And that is that though we are created to be relational, the reality is that because of the fall, because of what happened in the garden, we no longer are able to do relationships well. Have any of you ever noticed that? That relationships are just sometimes just difficult? Even with our best intentions, they can be difficult? Because of the fall, the capacity to form good, healthy relationships and derive from those relationships the, the, the health and the wholeness that God has, has uh, designed and intended our capacity is enormously diminished. We have become fractured. Obviously, we became fractured in our relationship with God because of the fall. We've also become fractured in our relationship with others and our relationship and even coming to understand who we are. So herein lies the dilemma. We are created to be relational people, but we just don't do it very well. We just have difficulties doing it, not because we don't want to necessarily, but because we just find it difficult. We find, we, we, we're obtuse. It's like having yeah, putting together a jigsaw puzzle. When our kids were little, we used to occasionally, although I hated it, we used to get these jigsaw puzzles to put together. And, and at that time, we had a, a dog, and we would get this big piece of wood on the, on the floor, and we'd put the pieces on the wood, and, and just during the evenings and at different times on the weekends, you know, the kids would gather around, and we'd try to put the, the jigsaw puzzle together. But unfortunately, our dog, his name was Shadow, would, would come and sort of grab a piece, and he would, you know, slobber on it, and he would chew on it, and, and it was just such a hassle because inevitably after a while that piece would not fit where it was supposed to go because it would you know the slobber and it would you know it'd get bloated and be chewed up and there was this you know and that's sort of like relationship we may belong to be you know and be created to fit together with others but there's this cosmic slobber you know that the fall caused that even though we're created for that we no longer fit together well you know so what what we need to understand is how do we begin to cooperate and learn to restore God's intentions how do we restore and recapture the intention of God for us to be fitted together, for us to thrive in and because of a relationship. Probably, fundamentally, what is true is that we have, we have lost an understanding and traded Christ's purpose for relationships for a sort of a self-serving cultural understanding of relationship. You see, in our culture and in our flesh, relationship is, is to make me feel better. Relationship is to make me happy. So therefore, I would assume I should form relationships with those who make me feel better and make me happy. And those who serve no purpose in that regard well, then I don't have to have connection with them. You know, that I draw near to those who help me to think better of myself. I, I draw near to those who may give me a sense of, of uh, status. You know, look at who my friend is. So in our culture, we form relationships from a very self-centered perspective. What makes me happy? And if it stops making me happy, well, then I'm done with it. One of the tragedies of, of our culture is, is the, the divorce rate. 
just as, and it's just a picture of this phenomena where rather than understanding God's purpose of relationships, which I'm about to talk about, we have made relationships entirely about us. But I'm here to tell us that the only relationship, it's not wrong to be happy, mind you, but the, the, being happy is not the only purpose or fulfilled is not the only purpose for relationship. It's not, you see, relationship isn't just to make us happy. Relationships are to make us better. Relationships God intended to make us more like him. And along the way, to bring fulfillment and happiness and joy. But it's not simply for those reasons. So I want to talk a little bit about what are God's purposes so we as disciples can give ourselves to those purposes. So we can, can agree with God and we can engage with, with others, both those within the body of Christ, within the church, and those outside the church, those we work with, those that we, we grew up with, our, our family, etc. We can engage in relationship in such a way and, and embrace God's purposes for relationship in such a way that we can become truly disciples. And by that I mean we become those who more and more and more look like Jesus, act like Jesus, respond and react like Jesus, have his heart and his desires. So the, the first purpose, the first purpose of, of relationship is that relationships were created, we're, we were designed for relationship because within relationships, when we're fitted together with others, it brings about edification. Now, edification is, is a, a biblical term that just simply means to be built up. You know, the, the word edifice, you know, a building, a structure. Relationships are meant to help form us, to help build us up, to help us to come to realize and embrace who we are, to come to understand why we exist, to come to understand what it is about us that is unique, what is it about us and within us that is reflective of who Jesus is. And it's in relationships, whether we're talking about marriage, whether we're talking about our family relationships growing up, whether we're talking about friends, whether we're talking about the body of Christ, whether we're talking about those that we work with, those that we live around in our neighborhood, the purpose of relationship is to help to form us, to build us up, to edify us so that we can become more and more like Jesus. The purpose, that, the reason why Jesus forms a relationship with us is because as he draws close, as he comes to us and comes within us by the Holy Spirit, it helps us to realize who we are. And we see this, this principle over and over again in the scriptures, where God would come to an individual. Sometimes he would rename them and say, this is who you are. And he would give definition to who they were, what they're for. He would draw near to individuals, sometimes through, through angelic hosts, and help that individual come to realize the identity and the calling and the purposes that God had for them. Because the reality is this, that not most of us, every single one of us, I'm sure from time to time, maybe fairly frequently, recognize that be, we may not understand it's because of the fall, although it is, but we recognize that it is so easy to feel invisible. It is so easy even to be in a large group like this and to feel that everyone else is sort of connected, but I'm sort of in this bubble. Everybody else is part of the... The, the, the church, and I know that I am, but I feel somewhat invisible. And that's a phenomena that is a result of, of the, the fall in the garden. This, this sense of not existing, this loss of, of a sense of being. 
And it's only Christ that gives us a sense of being, a sense of who we are. And what we need to recognize is that one of the primary ways that God gives us that sense of being helps us to become invisible in in his creation and embrace our purposes in his creation is through relationships with others in being built up to be edified. The, the scriptures say that in Ephesians chapter 2, he, uh, when, when Paul was writing to the, the Gentiles, he said, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and their prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Then he goes on and says, In him, the whole building is being joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, in Christ, you too are being built together, edified together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. This is God's intention. This is God's purpose. The church is this this context where Christ comes and dwells, where his spirit rules, where he reigns, and he leads us, and he draws near to us. And within the context of the church and all of its, all of its local assemblies, we come to increasing degree, come to find out who we are as we build, are built up. In Romans 14, it says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Don't destroy the work of God. See, not only does the Bible imply that we are the, 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 the living stones by which, through which we're, 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 we come together to form God's household, the temple of God. We're not just the the stones, but we're also subcontractors that God wants to use every single one of us to help form and shape and place and and come alongside others and to say and to speak into each other's lives with our words, with our hearts, with our attitudes and help them to realize that they have been created uniquely and there's a place for them and a purpose for them and how they can come and, and not continually feel invisible, but to see the purposes for which God had created them. We're the building materials and the subcontractors. Now, some of us, some of us may have had individuals in our lives. Maybe it was family members. Maybe it was teachers or folks in the neighborhood that were, came alongside at, at crucial times in our lives and helped to, to edify, helped to speak into our lives, helped to, to give us that sense of being. There was a man in my life, his name was Gordon Walker. He, he, he didn't lead me to the Lord, but within days after I became a Christian, he became, he became my spiritual father. He, he discipled me. And in fact, I'm going after the next service. I'm going, he passed away a few days ago, and I'm going to his funeral in, in Tennessee. And Gordon's role in my life was significant because he helped, he helped me to find and to realize there was purpose in my life. I wasn't just this, this arrogant kid from New York City, but there was, I was an arrogant kid from New York City, but it's more than that. I was God's arrogant kid from New York City, and, and God had purpose for me. And Gordon's role in my life, his, his involvement in my, in my life, you know, allowing me to come and, and be close to him and allow, inviting me to, be, uh, to, to live with him and his family and so on, it helped me to become visible. It helped me to come to sense and realize what my purpose was. Gave me a sense of being. And now some of you may think, well, Danny, I didn't have somebody in my life. I, there wasn't anybody. There wasn't a parent or an aunt or a teacher or a neighbor who, who had that role in my life. So what do you say to me? 
Well, what I say to you is there's one thing that's even more fruitful in giving a sense of purpose and being than necessarily having someone who is that edifying person in your life. And that is when we begin to make it our purpose to be that individual in somebody else's life. When we, when we see God begin to use us to see an individual and say, there's a purpose for you. God has a purpose for your life. I see what it is that God has designed in your life. And I want you to understand that, that that's, there's something that you bring to this church, to this small group, to this family, to this class, to this, this, this workplace that I appreciate. Maybe it's your sense of humor. Maybe it's that you're just, you have a smile on your face. Maybe it's that you're, you're a, a hard worker. Maybe it's that you're whatever. But we, be, we can become that individual that edifies another. And in so doing, we become built up and come to realize the, the value of who we are and the willingness that God has to use us and to, to shape us, to help us. But all too often what happens is we, instead of building one another up, we cannibalize others. We try to feel good about ourselves by pressing others down through comparison, through criticism, through judgments. And we think that we're going to feel better about ourselves by climbing on the back of another. And Jesus says, no, no, that's, you, you have it all wrong. That doesn't work at all. But as we build each other up, as we take that privilege that we have to be an, uh, uh, one who can build up like Christ builds up, as we take that responsibility on, as disciples should and could, and say, here I am, Lord, use me. Give me your eyes so I can see other individuals and speak into their lives, encourage their lives, let them know that they're not invisible, that I see them, and I recognize and, and recognize the, 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 the reflection of Christ in their lives. That's what discipleship is like. And that's what, it, what the purpose of relationships are. To edify and, and beyond edification, the second purpose of relationship is for what the Bible calls sanctification. To sanctify means to, to set aside. You know, we, the Bible says we are sanctified for God's purposes. We are set aside for his purposes. We are in a process from the certainly from the moment that we come into a relationship with Christ, we're in a process of being sanctified, where God is chipping away at our brokenness, chipping away at the, at the, the, the parts of us that are, are, are just crumbling, are, are, are just accumulated from being in the world and being fallen creatures. God is separating us from the results of the fall, and helping us to become ever more like him. You know, sort of like when, when uh, Michelangelo uh, carved the, uh, the statue of David. And someone was talking to, it was Michelangelo, right? Yeah, yeah, Mike, I knew it was him. Individual came and, and talked to him about you know, how do you possibly take up this this large piece of marble and create something so beautiful? And he said, "Well, it's just simply my job to release, in this case, to release the David inside of that rock." See, he saw what was inside, and he chipped away that everything was that wasn't what he saw. God is using relationships to do that with us, to sanctify us. Relationship, as I said, is not just to, to make us happy. It's to make us better, to make us like Jesus. So God wants to use each other to accomplish that. And, and the reality is sometimes, frequently, God uses 
the most difficult relationships in our lives to sanctify us the most. He uses the most difficult situations and people in our lives to chip away at us the most. It's what I call the, the Schottenstein syndrome. Anyone been in Columbus long enough to remember the store Schottenstein's? Yeah. Schottenstein's was a very interesting store because what Schottenstein's did is they, they sold what they referred to as irregular items. You know, their clothing were like factory seconds. You, you couldn't just buy something and bring it home and assume it was going to be just fine. You know, I remember one time I tried on a pair of pants and hmm, it looked pretty good. Put my hands in the pockets. I felt skin. And I was thinking, well, that's odd. And, and I came to realize well, they had, the factory forgot to put the pockets in. You know, they had the slits, okay, but not the pocket. You know, you had to be careful with what you bought there. You know, uh, you make sure there's two sleeves on the shirt. Make sure that, you know, things were sewn properly. Because oftentimes you'll get the item home and it would be, you know, it just wouldn't fit quite right. It just rubbed, it, you know, chafed. They were irregular items. Well, do you realize there, that the world is full of irregular people? You know, people that just don't fit quite right. People that just consistently are able to, to just rub you the wrong way. Anyone know somebody like that? We all have irregular people in our life. Now, I, I hate to break this to you, but you're somebody else's irregular person. <laughs> you know, we're all irregular people. And we all have irregular people in our lives. And one of the reasons why God has brought us into relationship and calls us to make commitment and not run when things get tough is because God can use those individuals to help shape us and knock rough edges off and make us more like Jesus. You know, that, that uncle in your life that no matter what you say, he's able to say something that is hurtful, something that just makes you, just is sort of a put down. You, you say, hey, Uncle John, I, I made the dean's list this, this semester. And, and Uncle John says, well, your cousin made it every semester. You know, they're always able, and, and you're sitting there thinking, I just want to choke the life out of that person, you know. <laughs> but see, what you need to do is the next time you see that person, you go up to Uncle Joe, grab his face in your hand, give him a big wet kiss right on the forehead, and say, Uncle Joe, I want you to know that God has used you so much in my life. <laughs> because that's the reality. God uses irregular people to help us become more like Jesus. I mean, I want you to know, I have been tremendously been tremendously used by God in Penny's life. <laughs> because she's lived for 40-some years now with a, a regular person. And it's helped to make her more like Jesus. You know, and, 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 and there's a reality to that. See, it, it's not just that the person is so peculiar. Sometimes it's just simply that they're the opposite sex. I mean, do, seriously, do you realize that there is and there are, and I, I know I speak in generalities and there are exceptions to this, but there are certain differences between men and women. But, <laughs> but God has a reason why he says, no, I'm going to watch this. Watch what I'm going to do, angels. You know, I'm going to make men and women, in general sense, really kind of different, and then I'm going to make them attracted to each other, and they're going to get married. Because marriage isn't just to make us happy, though it fulfills that. It's to make us better. It's to make us like Jesus. I mean, there are sometimes, I, I walk into a room, and there's Penny, and, and she'll say, hey, honey, let's talk. And all of a sudden, you'll beat a sweat begins to develop. And I say, sure, you know, we, we, we've been talking all day, haven't we? And, and she says, well, we haven't talked, talked. And now I'm really sweating, okay? Because I don't know what talk, talk is. You know, I barely understand what talk is. 
And I say, sure, sure. What would you like to talk about? And she says, you decide. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. And she goes, well, let's talk about something important about us. And, And now I'm really on the spot. And it's like, you know, what would you consider important about us? And she goes, things that we should be talking about. And I'm like, what? And, and by that time, she says, oh, that's okay. Never, never mind. And I'm sitting there thinking, did this count? Did we just talk? You know? But do you understand what I mean? I'm not trying to be silly, but it's true. God puts us in relationship so that we can become more like Jesus, so we can grow in patience, in wisdom, in kindness, so we can learn how to, to, to not be self-seeking, but self-giving. That's the reason for relationship. That's, those are the purposes that God has for us. And that's why if we're, if we're, going, to be, if we're going to be disciples... You know, what I talked about last week is crucial that we need to take our, ourselves in hand and examine, am I a man and a woman of the word? Am I, am I willing to, to bend my life and heart around the purposes of Christ rather than expect Christ to bend his purposes around my desires? But beyond simply taking ourselves in hand, we need to look at at those relationships within the church, within families, within communities, neighborhoods, workplaces, and say, Lord, how is it that you're going to use these? How can you use me to identify or to, uh, to edify others? How can you use me in other people's lives? Give me your eyes so I can see who it is that you want me to, to breathe reality and, and purpose and identity into individuals who feel like they're just invisible. How can I begin to say, I see you and God sees you? And Lord, how can I even find through relationships with irregular people fruitful in helping me to become more like you, more full of grace? But the, 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 final, the final purpose of relationship beyond edification and, and sanctification, the final purpose is what, what I would say the glorification of God. Now, the word glorify just simply means to give evidence in this context, to give evidence of God's greatness. So when we say you know, if someone tells you something good and you say, glory to God, because I know you say that all the time, what you're saying is, that's evidence of how great God is. If, if we were to say, let's glorify God today in our worship, what we're saying is, let's speak evidence of who God is and his greatness. One of the reasons why God has called us into relationship with others is because he gets Glorified, It provides evidence of his greatness. When people can look, I mean, this is how it's supposed to be. When people can look at, at God's church and say, what a mix of individuals and personalities and ages and, you know, temperaments. And, but yet, look at how they love one another. That's what's supposed to glorify him. We need to ask, is that what the, is that what the world sees? Is it like in the first century where, where frequently the world would look at the, the culture would look at the church and say, oh, how they love one another. Is, is that what the world says when they look at the church in general? Is that what the world says and the culture says when they, when they look at this church? Is that what they would derive when they hear us speak about other churches at work and other Christians at work? Does God sit there as a, as a father and say, oh, I love how this, this diverse mix of humanity come together 
and allow their lives to be fitted together. That lifts him up. It's evidence of what a great and powerful God he is. When, when, and I, I see it regularly. I wish I saw it more regularly. But when, when people who, who I talk to who, who come because they have a difficult marriage, there's, there's some real rough times, and they make that commitment to, to get counsel, to get encouragement, to, to learn new ways to communicate, to learn new ways to listen, and they work that difficult relationship out. There's nothing that gives more glory to God than a couple who, rather than saying, we've had it, we're out, you know, it's too hard, fell out of love, and split, and say, no, no, we've made a commitment. And by God's grace, we're going to not just learn to tolerate, but we're going to gain and capture God's intention and purpose for this marriage. That glorifies God. It makes God look good. When people can say, they've pressed in. When friendships don't just split, but they work it together. When people in a church who, who have such diverse attitudes and perspectives and points of view and, and diverse theology on minors, not on the majors, but on, on minor details, say, but I, I love Jesus. And reasonable Christians can disagree on this particular point of doctrine. And unity is more important to God than me standing up for my rights, standing up for, for what I want. And rather than creating, you know, all these boutique churches where everybody is like each other and, the, you know, everyone is between, you know, 42 and 43 and a half and everybody is, you know, has this level of education and everybody dresses this way and acts this way. You know, who wants boutique churches where we're all just like each other? God fits us together so we can edify each other, so we can rub the rough edges off of each other, and so people can say, there really must be a God in heaven. Because look at this. This couldn't happen if there wasn't a, a father in heaven that each of those children bend their hearts to and their need to. Does that, does that make sense? So if we want to be a church full of disciples... then what it means is that we learn how to, to build relationships as God originally intended them to be built, to engage in relationship as God calls us to engage, not just cannibalizing each other, not trying to build ourselves up by pushing someone else down, not by dividing, not by looking for where there's differences, but by looking to say, Jesus, how do you want me to be used in this other person's life? How are you going to use them to help me become a better person, become more like you? Because my desire, which is to be the desire of any disciple, is I want you to be glorified. I want people through my life to say, God is good, or your God is powerful, or your God is gracious. And that's our privilege, and that's our responsibility as disciples to, to give ourselves to relationship for edification, sanctification, and, and for God's glorification. Why don't you stand up? Why don't you stand up? We're going to have a little bit of ministry and response time. Cheryl, Cheryl, why don't you come on up and you could lead a little bit of worship while we do that. But there are a few things I believe God wants to do. First is that there are probably many people here who, when I was talking about feeling invisible, you understood that clearly. 
you understand what it feels like to never have had someone come alongside and, and to be there to speak into your life and give you that sense of purpose, that, that sense of being, to say you're worthwhile. But that doesn't disqualify you. It doesn't give you an excuse to just stand on the sideline. Because I believe what God wants to do, and I believe he's going to do that for many today who respond, God is going to be the one who can speak and come alongside and, and breathe in you like he breathed into Adam and brought life to Adam. He can breathe into you and give you that sense of purpose, that sense of being. And I believe God wants to do that today to help you to know that you're not invisible to him. And, and bottom line, that's really all that matters. So those of you who, who need that, that, that voice of the Father, that affirmation of your Heavenly Father, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Also, I believe there are many people here who the, the thought, the notion of, of edifying others, speaking and being used by God to speak into other people's lives is, is so uncomfortable but it's uncomfortable because you think, well, who am I? Why would they even care what I thought? I'd feel presumptuous to, to come up to somebody and say, that really was, blessed me. Or I, I, I want you to know I saw that, that response or that action or that, that thing that you did, and it really it, it meant something to me, and I appreciate it. Who am I to, to edify another? And the answer to that is you're a child of God called to edify others. And I believe that God wants to give that, that impetus. He wants to give you that nudge and begin to speak to you. Even this, this week, begin to speak to you and, and tap you on the shoulder. And, you know, there's somebody, Danny, that God wants to use you in, in whose life God wants to use you. There's somebody who needs to know that they are seeing, that you see them. And that God sees them. So those of you who feel like I, 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 no one would care about what I have to say, God wants to correct that and give you some, some opportunities to, uh, to be edifiers of others. I believe also there are many individuals here who have just, in regards to discipleship, have just sort of hung out on the edge of God's kingdom. You know, you're just sort of a, trying to be a good old boy or a good old girl Christian. I'm not doing too bad. I may not be lighting the world on fire. But Jesus said he'd rather us hot or cold, but not lukewarm. It's dangerous to walk the middle of the road. It's dangerous to be lukewarm. And I believe many here today just need to say, Lord, I, I know you have more for me than I've embraced thus far. And just as an outward sign, Jesus, I just want to come forward and say, here I am. To the degree that I'm able, draw me, see me, step into those purposes you have for me. Does that make sense? So we're going to continue. We're going to sing one last song, but whether you feel invisible, whether you need that affirmation of the Father today, whether you need to step into being an edifier of others, or whether you just need to step in and say, Lord, I want to be a disciple and not just a church attender, I invite you to come forward. Let's make sure everyone that comes to the front has someone praying for them. Why don't you come right now? Have some people come and pray for these.
Father, we just want to give ourselves to you and your purposes. In our relationship with you, we say, come and have your way with us. In your desire to weave us together with others, within the church, within the community, within the workplace, Father, come, have your way with us. Be at work in us and through us, Lord. Father, we want to engage in relationships, not just for, for our happiness and contentment and companionship, but also that you would be glorified and that we could be used as, as instruments of grace and mercy and peace and edification. So, Father, come and have your way in our lives. Have your way in this church, Lord. Let, let it become more and more reality that as people see our lives, and see how we speak, how we relate to one another, that they would also be able to say, oh, how they love one another. And let it all flow because of the, the reality of, of just how we love you. So come and be at work. Bring your presence and your spirit to accomplish your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. You're getting prayer. Feel free to continue. Otherwise, God bless you guys. Don't forget to continue to.